Cities are home to 56% of the global population and contribute an estimated 75% of global carbon emissions. As a result, local and municipal governments play an important role in putting the circular economy into action. So how can city governments design circular systems? Our current model of production, consumption and processing is not sustainable. But how can we move away from a single-use, take-make-waste approach and towards one that uses innovative solutions to eliminate pollution and circulate materials? This is Inside the Circle, a podcast from Economist Impact exploring the circular economy in action. My name is Martin Curry. I'm a senior manager and I lead the sustainability, climate change and natural resources practice. This podcast is supported by the Ellen MacArthur Foundation. In the final episode of this series, we will be unpacking the circular economy for cities where we explore how cities are implementing circular policies, putting circular infrastructure in place, and supporting collaborations between actors working in this space. The city is where circular solutions come to life. But what exactly would a circular city look like? Liz Goodwin, chair at RE London and senior fellow and director of food loss and waste at the World Resources Institute, provides us with a concrete definition. Circular City is a place where there are multiple opportunities for reusing things, for repairing, sharing, renting, recycling as much as possible. They're full of businesses, full of governments, civil society, communities and individuals. And all of them have a role to play and have the power to affect the way in which the city and the city economy works. But obviously a city doesn't operate in isolation Globalization means that most of the materials and products that a city uses and consumes come from elsewhere. And a city might be able to influence the things that happen within its own boundaries. But really, to make the maximum impact it can on the circular economy, the city needs to understand where its impacts are and understand what it can do to, at a local level to help reduce all of those impacts as well. But a circular city is more of a means to an end. What does that end look like? Let's hear from Kate Rayworth, author of Donut Economics and co-founder of the Donut Economics Lab. Circularity is not the goal in itself. It's a very important means to coming back and living within the means of the living planet. It's a way for humanity to belong again in the ecosystems of which we're a part, that we've become so separated from. It's a way for humanity to move away from linear degenerative industrial production to circular or cyclical regenerative production. What will that mean in practice? It'll mean instead of having cities that have a constant inflow of new materials and a constant outflow of waste, far, far more of the materials in use will be used again and again, far more carefully, more collectively, more creatively, and more slowly. Circularity is therefore a tool that enables us to coexist within planetary boundaries. But it also brings additional benefits for employment and social well-being. There are some huge benefits to a city in becoming more circular. There's all the environmental and carbon reductions and the making better use of materials and resources. But there are lots of social and emotional ones as well. As we live in a global world, increasingly things like climate change and issues of a global nature, but we feel unempowered and we, um, a circular economy 
provides a mechanism for people to take back a bit more control. They can think about the things they're using, they can get their products repaired, they can think about sharing, leasing, recycling, and they can actually form more about their local communities. Um, And I think it's also about jobs, you know, it creates meaningful jobs of all different sorts for people. But it's not just about a single bullet solution. A circular economy requires lots of different interventions. We need government doing things, we need big businesses doing things, but we also need little innovations and little businesses. The experience of the city of Sao Paulo is a testament to this. Marta Suplicy, Municipal Secretary of International Relations of the city of Sao Paulo, tells us about how the circular economy was used as a tool by the city to enhance the potential of food production whilst supporting the local community. Circular economy is a key, not only to fight climate change and implement sustainable development, but a tool for transforming our reality and the cities we live in. In the case of Sao Paulo, this city is one of the only metropolises in the world that has 33% of its territory as a rural area. And in this area, we have important water reservoirs, which supply water for the entire population, as well as 13 indigenous tribes. In addition, the communities that live there are in a situation of social environmental vulnerability. Circular economy can be a tool which allows the municipality to harness the potential of food production, promoting food security with a short chain of production with low emissions. And from experiences we have had in Sao Paulo, it can arise new business, jobs, training and education opportunities for the population, creating a series of positive overflows. There are incredible opportunities for wealth generation in cities through the broad implementation of the circular economy. So for cities looking to become more circular, Shiva Susala, founder of Circular Cities Asia and founder and CEO of Renergy, argues that a comprehensive landscape scan followed by ambitious targets are the best places to start. You cannot change anything that you cannot measure. Right, so I think the first step is measurement. Even for the top cities, you get only very vague high-level numbers. What you want is complete breakdown of the 80 different types of materials that typically end up in landfills. The first step towards any transition from linear state to a circular state is measurement. How linear are we? And then set goals for circularity, break it down into annual, biannual benchmarks and slowly move. From there, cities can start to deploy policies and incentives to bring these visions to life. The first great thing a city can do is set ambition and have that vision saying, we are going to become a circular city. Say it loud, say it clear, make it legal in the sense of writing it into your commitments because you send a really powerful message to business, to the community, to those arriving entrepreneurs. This is the direction we're going in. So that clarity of ambition, I think, is the most important thing. Then following that with planning how space will be used. If we're going to deconstruct buildings, where are we going to store the timbers before they get used again? The city of Portland in Oregon has introduced a deconstruction law that's saying there's buildings of a certain age that can no longer just be bashed down. They have to be deconstructed, tile by tile, 
timber by timber. Then they have the Portland Rebuilding Center. It's a space in the city where all those materials are stored. But you need that warehousing and storage capacity. You need the data systems that tell people these are the materials and here's where they are. You can use city taxes, as Milan did, giving a tax reduction on any restaurant or supermarket that could show that any food waste that wasn't going to be used was actually going to a food bank. So the city can use its taxes to incentivize and reward those who are moving early towards that circular design. But I think also the city can be a really powerful convener, bring together those entrepreneurs and the public sector bodies and the community to say, how do we together design this new system? Another starting point is to target one sector and build from there. Sao Paulo began with a circular food initiative and is now using this to develop a roadmap for a circular city. One of our main partners for circular economy is the Ellen MacArthur Foundation. In the beginning of uh, 2020, we were selected to work in the food initiative alongside London and New York, which aimed at building a food system adequate to the 21st century. After this fruitful cooperation, we were the first city to rise to the status of strategic partners of the foundation. This partnership aims at taking circular economy to different areas beyond the food initiative, also focusing on capacity building within City Hall and the development of a common vision and a roadmap to transform São Paulo in a circular capital. At present, there is no perfect circular city, but cities across the world have started making strides. These pioneering cities, from London and Seoul, to Sao Paulo and Milan, generate lessons for circular policy implementation, infrastructure design and collaboration models. For textiles, I'm going to go to the city of Amsterdam, which has the blessing of being in the nation of the Netherlands, because the Netherlands have introduced probably a more ambitious circularity policy than other countries. The Netherlands have said, let's be 100% circular by 2050. And the city of Amsterdam has then taken those goals from the national level and put them into their city policy and said from 2022, this year, all city procurement should have at least 10% circular procurement in our contracts. I really like that because it's got this long-term transformative vision, a decadal serious transformation and a this year now commitment to act. If you want to do business in Amsterdam, you're welcome, but you're going to have to do it circular. And what we're seeing in the city of Amsterdam is becoming a hub for textiles. So Amsterdam is actually known as the global capital of denim. They've created the denim deal, bringing together denim manufacturers and remanufacturers and reusers and upcyclers. How can we make sure that more and more of the fibers within the denim that's produced here are circular and recycled and reused? They've actually used the donut at the heart of their circularity policy. They've given themselves a long ambition, focusing on textiles, they're focusing on food and also the construction sector. They've created a, an experimental district called Bikeslotterham. And in that district, anything that's built there should be built with building materials, with designs and techniques that are circular. So it's a space for innovation. So Seoul is a great example of a large city very thoughtfully implementing waste policies that translate into better use of materials. A great example is their pricing mechanism for garbage bags. If you're a household in Seoul and you want to tip your garbage to the local uh, waste system, you can only do it in the bags that the government provides and there's a price attached to it. Just the simple pricing mechanism has created so much 
consciousness around people becoming more thoughtful about what they want to dump because the more you dump it it pushes up your costs every day the government has an important role in presenting the vision and in describing the vision and the targets to drive local plans and an example of this is you know the mayor of london's got a the london environment strategy and he set out a vision for london to become a circular city and within that there are requirements for all the local councils within london to develop reduction and recycling plans and that really leads to tangible plans which are action based and will actually deliver change and the mayor himself has set some specific things so for example a requirement for circular economy assessments for all major referable development projects which means that any developer wishing to do one of these projects has to actually say how it's going to adopt a circular economy principles and that has massive impact all the way through the development of the city another great example is sao paulo where they've got the connect the dots food system approach and the municipality in sao paulo is offering to pay 30% higher to the farmers if those farmers transition to regenerative practices so farming that works with nature it's a great way of encouraging farmers to go down a particular track guaranteeing their income um and feeling that the city is doing something to actually help the farmers achieve what the city wants to achieve the city of sao paulo is doing impressive work in the realm of circular food notably its connect the dots initiative aims to promote circular food design by supporting local farmers to adopt regenerative practices It does this by connecting actors across the value chain and ensuring a market for regeneratively produced food. Sao Paulo is looking to take this initiative one step further by translating it into a public policy. The Connect the Dots project is one of the biggest success stories in recent years and is now entering a new phase. After four years of project and with the end of financing, São Paulo is getting ready to make Connect the Dots a lasting public policy. We will enable, in addition to maintaining the results obtained in the southern region of the city, the replication of the policy model in other areas of São Paulo. and also in other cities of the state of São Paulo. This episode is supported by the Ellen MacArthur Foundation. Let's hear from them on the circular economy. Around the world, the food that citizens eat influences what farmers grow. That's why food design is crucial to build a circular economy. Garden Gourmet is Nestlé's range of products that make plant-based food an easier and more attractive choice for people who want food that's good for them and good for the planet. The range offers a healthy choice of plant-based products including a burger, mince and sausages. Garden Gourmet's products embrace several elements of circular design for food. In particular, Garden Gourmet will be taking one of its key ingredients, soy, and sourcing it responsibly from regenerative farming practices and locally in Europe. Garden Gourmet will help transition 57,000 hectares of conventional farmland into regenerative farming by 2030. The foundation inspires Nestlé and many other brands to develop their thinking and actions to advance a regenerative food system at scale. In 2020, Nestlé released its Net Zero roadmap, and regenerative agriculture is a key lever to achieve this commitment. Nestlé's targets are to source 20% of its key ingredients through regenerative agriculture by 2025 and 50% by 2030. That's more than 14 million tons of ingredients that will support regenerative practices.
Beyond setting the tone of the city, policies can ensure that local communities and businesses are involved in the transition. Milan has the Milan Food Policy, where they brought together all sorts of stakeholders from the public sector, the private sector, and schools and farmers around the city and created an ecosystem of those who were involved in the food system. So, for example, procuring school meals from farms and orchards around the city, offering a 20% city tax reduction for businesses that showed that any food waste that they were generating was actually being distributed to food banks and food charities. So helping to connect up all the different actors to make sure that food was not wasted, ensuring that organic waste that actually turned into compost was returned to the city soils. So this is a reduction in carbon emissions, a reduction in costs, an improvement in the quality of city soil, more people connected to the land, improvement of the diets of school children. Lastly, I'll say that Milan then created the Milan Urban Food Pact and, and inspired many other cities to then sign up and commit to transforming their food systems. And I think that's key. A pioneering city needs to be an inspiration to their peers. And so that inspiration needs to spread so fast because we are late, because we are slow, because we are still linear. And these are such early days of circularity. The best examples of cities that are transitioning to circularity in Asia are those that have managed to decentralize material throughput, waste collection systems and recycling. Kamikatsu is a great example of decentralization. They've passed it down to the community level. Communities now work together and segregate material into 45 different streams. They segregate into ad source at the community level. Whatever can be processed there, whatever can be composted, it gets composted and whatever can actually be recovered centrally and, and sort of piped up to other use cases gets done. It's super efficient. So how do you create social incentives for communities to come together, manage their material locally? The cities that have done well in Asia are ones that have decentralized to the community level, the ones that have created economic and social incentives for localized processing of materials and segregation. Policies also make it easier for city governments to put the right infrastructure in place. So there are a number of really good case studies of things that are happening around the world. I mean, in London, there has been a program rolling out water refill stations to try to reduce the amount of single-use plastic water bottles. It ran for a couple of years before the pandemic, and we saw massive uptake in popularity um, among residents and the visiting population. And I think that was it was successful because of the concerted effort. And at the time, there was this um, huge attention on single-use plastics, and it was seen as a very tangible, practical thing that could be done. But hard infrastructure needs to be developed alongside soft infrastructure, which focuses on circular skills and knowledge. I think it's really important that you have the right infrastructure in place, but it's not just hard infrastructure. But it's also more important to think about the infrastructure in a broader sense. So we're collaborating with West London Borough to develop a circular or ultra-low waste neighbourhood. So it's not just about recycling, it's trying to grow circular skills, so working with the local colleges, trying to establish rental libraries, so there are things like the Library of Things where people can share things, the repair hubs and cafes. And if you make it really broad and make it including knowledge infrastructure, working with SMEs is really important to help build that capability through things like the Circular Economy Week when we try to showcase businesses and build networking opportunities for those businesses. So I think we have to think about infrastructure in the broader sense possible. In that sense, 
The city has a role in simplifying the language of circularity and providing citizens and businesses with consistent messaging. I think cities have a huge role to play in, in raising awareness. There are an awful lot of messages hitting people and quite often they're conflicting. The city has the ability to provide a consistent message. So, for example, in London, ReLondon has developed a lot of materials and a lot of messaging, which can then be used by the 33 boroughs, and it avoids those 33 boroughs all spending time and money creating their own campaigns. They can just pick up on the messaging that's been tried and tested, and they can use it with their residents. They can also raise awareness about some of the businesses and what businesses are doing, so that citizens feel the businesses who are operating around them are actually doing their bit as well. Cities can also support businesses by fostering collaboration and providing them with investment to transform their business models. So I think there are four main actions that cities can do to help local businesses. First of all, they can make actionable advice and knowledge accessible to businesses, so giving them the information that they need to grow their business and develop their circular approach. Second thing is they can directly invest in circular economy businesses so um, ReLondon gives out grants, small grants, because it's often quite a small grant that's needed to help a business overcome its concerns about circularity or what they need to do. The third thing they can do is to plug innovators with big procurers. So the government itself is quite a big purchaser of goods and services, and putting those innovative businesses in touch with the procurement teams can actually help then find a marketplace, which is really important. And then the fourth thing is they can make it attractive to invest in the circular economy in the city so they can attract investors. Sao Paulo City is hosting the first Circular Economy Week in Latin America, which is an example of this in action. Transitioning towards a circular economy is a challenging task that requires the engagement of a variety of stakeholders in order to be achievable. As a city hall, we have been trying to foster these dialogues. In the first week of May, we will host the first Circular Economy Week in Latin America, an event consisting of panels with professors, civil society, business and public sector on some of the main topics regarding circular economy, such as value chain, technology, waste management and food. The idea is to provide a space for discussion for stakeholders to talk about challenges and opportunities in the shift towards a circular economy, as well as ensure wide media coverage on television, printed press and the internet to expose as many citizens as possible to circular principles. London is also doing work in this space, supporting businesses through ReLondon's business transformation program. We've been working through the business transformation program with around 300 circular SMEs. And you can see best practice growing through those SMEs and they're all contributing to the economy in London. And it's also notable that in London, the local councils really care about this. Engaging different businesses is crucial if we are to move past silos and encourage actors across sectors to work together. What kind of circular future are we going to create? There are very different circular futures that could come about. One could be led by individual companies saying, you know that product you brought from us, bring it back to us and we will refurbish and recycle it. And I call that siloed circularity. It's run by the individual company. The materials are returned to the brand. 
the technology is in-house, the standards are their own and protected, and the knowledge is kept within the company. We will never get to a circular economy if we just have a thousand brands each trying to reclaim and recycle their own products. We need to move to what I would call ecosystem circularity, where materials, whether they're plastics or food or textiles or metals or electronics, they're returned to an ecosystem. And that ecosystem has shared standards. It will need to be open by design with open data about where the parts and components can be purchased from. So all this to say, a circular city needs a shared governance structure of plastics, of food, of textiles, of electronics. One of the problem with how we've designed cities and how we've promoted, we've promoted economic clusters. If you take the city of Singapore, for example, right, on one end of the city, we have the semiconductor cluster. On another corner of the city, we have the petrochemicals cluster. This actually has led to industry or actor stakeholder silos because it's now very difficult for the semiconductor industry, just building on the example that I gave, to collaborate with the petrochemicals cluster because they're so far apart. And this has been a uniform pattern across all cities, not just Singapore. I grew up in the city of Bangalore. You have the infotech software, high-tech industry on one end of the city. You have the manufacturing on another end. This is not very conducive for circularity. So I think establishing those linkages between industries and clusters is absolutely critical. Going forward, we also need to rethink the metrics by which we evaluate success. So Donut Economics aims for a world that meets the needs of all people within the means of the living planet. And for the past five or so years, we've been approached by city mayors and city councillors saying we want to bring these ideas to practice in our city. What does that mean? I think the 21st century metrics that we are going to judge the success of our cities by are metrics we have barely begun to invent, but they will measure the regenerative nature of a city. Is the way this city operates helping to restore the living world on which it depends? Is this city a distributive city sharing value and opportunity with all of its residents? And that's why I say we need to be agnostic about growth. Growth is not the goal. The goal is a regenerative, distributive place to live that meets the needs of all within the means of the living planet. That being said, the challenges faced by cities in higher income countries differ significantly from their middle to lower income counterparts. So first I have to say I don't think that there are any developed countries in the world because all high income nations are overshooting their pressure on the planet. All high income nations are destroying the life support systems of the planet with their carbon emissions and their material footprint. I think we're all developing, but from very, very different starting points. High income nations have a historic infrastructure in place. And that actually can be a lock-in. They're locked into fossil fuels. They're locked into everybody having, you know, their own car, their own washing machine, their own ownership in their house and need to change not only the infrastructure, but also the, the norms of lifestyle. Lower income countries that haven't yet put in place that infrastructure have more open opportunity to design it well the first time. But of course, it costs money, right? And many lower income countries have not been given anything like the scale of resources that I believe the, the global north should be providing to enable them to take a different path of industrialization, take a renewable energy future so that they don't overshoot planetary pressure on greenhouse gases and material footprint in the way that high income countries have already done so. Cities in emerging Asian economies have a unique set of challenges, 
but also have strong foundations that can enable them to leapfrog into circularity. One thing about cities in, in emerging countries are that these are not planned cities. These are cities that have organically evolved over hundreds of years from small towns to massive cities, unlike, for example, cities in the West, which are highly planned. In, in fact, in the US, almost all the cities are, are overplanned, if you will. Cities in Asia, very few of them are planned. So this creates significant challenges from the perspective of implementing anything from a systems perspective. Having said that, Asia has massive advantages when it comes to a transition to the circular economy. If you look at new innovation in, in circular economy, these are the type of models that entrepreneurs are trying to bring back. So Asian cities can leapfrog and set standards, new standards and examples for how to transition to a circular economy simply by revisiting our native lifestyles. We love living in communities. We love sharing goods. These are all cultural aspects of our lifestyles that naturally allow for deployment of circular policies, circular business models, and circular technologies. Similarly, for cities in Latin America, their rich biodiversity and agricultural foundation is an asset as well as a key source of emissions. Circular strategies need to be built around these contexts. Latin America is one of the most biodiverse regions in the world, which allows for truly transformative experience to create regenerative value chains from our abundant resources while promoting and fostering local economies. The COVID-19 pandemic has presented numerous challenges for governments across the globe and also created a sense of the need to act now in order to tackle both climate change and the deep inequalities aggravated during this time. A report launched by the United Nations Environmental Program states that over 50% of the emissions in the region are caused by agriculture, changes in land use, and forest activities, industrial process, and waste. Here in Sao Paulo, we have been paying close attention to issues such as regenerative agriculture and waste management, seeing both subjects as opportunities to enhance sustainability in the city and having circular economy as one of the guidelines. Yet across cities, consumption-based emissions are a key consideration, as well as a reminder of the importance of the circular economy as a framework for transformation. Consumption-based emissions are basically thinking about all the goods and products that you consume and use within the city. Now, not very much of that will have actually been produced in the city. We import all our products. We import electricals, we import food, we import clothes. All of those have emissions associated with them. They are around two-thirds of the typical big city's emissions. And those aren't going to be tackled by traditional ways of focusing on energy and transport within the city. We have got to think about the, all the impacts of the things that we bring into the city. And I see the circular economy as being as, uh, the only systemic way of actually tackling some of that consumption-based emissions. The challenge is that both consumption-based emissions, but also policies, are not confined to city borders. I think the biggest challenge is that a city is not an island. A city is obviously deeply interconnected with the global economy, even with just its rural surroundings. So the idea that a city alone can become circular 
isn't possible. Cities are leading. Cities are pioneering and pushing, and they should be celebrated and recognised for that. But to make true circularity happen, it's going to take national and international legislation to actually unlock the full potential of what they're trying to bring about. So I think there's always going to be this healthy tension between the ambition of the city and the frustration of the city embedded in bigger systems that have not yet transformed at the speed that they are pushing for. And that's what makes cities so important for spurring this change on. Some cities have started to try and address this. So one of the problems with cities is that cities deplete the hinterland. Cities occupy 3% of landmass, but we suck up almost 75% of global resources. The city of Barcelona is trying to change it by saying two-thirds of everything that the city of Barcelona needs should be produced within the city. That's an incredible goal. And when we talk about food, the Singapore government last year came up with a 30 by 30 vision, which means 30% of all the food that Singaporeans demand is going to be produced in the city of Singapore by 2030. And when we started with this vision, we were at 5%. So we're making the leap from 5% local production to 30% local production. This means utilizing every possible rooftop and land space for food production. And this great example of how this has triggered a completely new ecosystem and industry and, and investment into food waste valorization here in, in Singapore. Though great progress is being made across cities worldwide, we are still at the very beginning. Cities are an important platform for experimentation and innovation and should inspire nations to follow suit. I cannot see any reason, any justification, why every single high-income nation in the world has not already introduced this. How can this be? How can they not have the ambition to be circular, to be at least half circular by 2030? So cities are showing national legislators that there is ambition. We are actually going beyond what you have regulated for. We are more ambitious than you as a nation. And we know that whether it's nation, national governments or the European Union are watching what's happening in our cities. Let them be the hub and the, the concentration of innovation. And we will then realise this is possible and we need to introduce it on a national level. So they're crucial places of experimentation and proof of concept. That's it for today's episode. Cities are where circular solutions and innovations across plastics, food and fashion come to life and are a microcosm for the challenges and opportunities that lie ahead in our circular transition. This was the final episode of this series of Inside the Circle. For more information and to listen to the other episodes, visit impact.economist.com forward slash sustainability. Thanks again to the Ellen MacArthur Foundation for supporting this program.